Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1196 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday. And thank you for making this podcast, the Lots on Hawks podcast, your first listen each and every day. Check out the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms from Apple Podcasts to Spotify. And also, we are now on a newly launched YouTube channel. Check that out today. And please, please, please subscribe to support the podcast. Today's podcast, we'll get into what became a very nice win for the Hawks at home, 112-106 over the Los Angeles Clippers at State Farm Arena. They avoided a third trade loss. It got a little bit perilous down the stretch, which we'll get into later on. But now the Hawks actually, as, as much as it's been up and down this entire season from start to finish, really, they're 12-2 and in their last 14 home games. They're now 20-13 at home this season. So let's just say Atlanta's been pretty kind to the Hawks this year. Road games, not so much, but tonight we can focus on what became a nice win and with the exception of a pretty ugly swoon in the second quarter, it was a pretty good performance from the Hawks. They were the better team, the more talented team for sure, and playing at home you're supposed to win. But a lot of times, as Hawks fans can attest, this year they've been in a spot where they should have won the game and they were not able to do so. And this one, it got a little bit tight late, but they were able to hold on and pick up a badly needed victory. So we're going to get into all of what transpired here, but sort of context coming in. The Hawks, of course, played in Los Angeles against this Clippers team back in January. L.A., it's been kind of a weird season. They're actually above 500 for the season, which is a credit to Ty Lue and this roster because if you look at just the roster that was available for the Clippers in this game, it was not fantastic, and it's been that way the entire year. Uh, just for reference, Kawhi Leonard, of course, still out. Paul George, still out. Robert Covington, who they traded for at the deadline, is out. Norm Powell, who they traded for at the deadline, is also out. So basically, while they've been shorthanded all season long, that's four of their top eight guys probably, and clearly their top two guys. Powell somewhere in that three, four, five range for them. So – it, this was actually the same group that they started against the Hawks back in January when the Hawks lost to the Clippers. But in that game, Hunter and Capella did not play for Atlanta. So a little bit more of a level playing field this time around. And, of course, the home court advantage going to Atlanta. On the Hawks' side in this game, no injuries at all to report in the pregame. Uh, there was one note of news on Thursday into Friday. Jalen Johnson was assigned to College Park, and the Skyhawks actually play on Saturday Sharif Cooper was already there, of course. So the only two guys that were not active and available in this game were those were those two guys. Um, I will say that it's very clear that John Collins is not himself and not healthy right now. He was not listed on the injury report, but uh, coming into the game, he was he had this massive tape job on his finger to the point where the broadcast actually caught Vince Carter, seemingly showing him how to tape it up, and he was not listed on the injury report. But after the game, Nate McMillan was asked about Collins' status. I'm going to read the quote here from Sarah Spencer. Uh, she transcribed this. I don't have the video, so my apologies on that. But um, Nate says, and I'm quoting now, I'm not going to tell you everything. I just respect him for his effort. And he does have some things that are going on that he's trying to play through, end quote. So Collins has referenced the foot, which, of course, he kept, was out of, out, of, out of commission for a while. And since he came back, he's not been the same guy. But whether it's the foot or the finger or what's going on there, Collins clearly not at full strength, even if he was actually available to play in this game. And final piece of pregame context, the Hawks were seven and a half point favorites at Bet Online, our friends over there, before this game started. And for comparison's sake, the Hawks were also seven and a half point favorites on Monday in Detroit. Of course, they lost that game, but just that kind of tells you that the Hawks were pretty comfortably supposed to win this game, quote unquote, by the projections in the betting market. And they were able to hold serve, although they didn't actually did not cover by the end of this game. But alas, 
unless you were on the Hawks side of that of that of that frame, nobody's really uh, too bothered by that. That's for the game itself. They got a nice bucket out of the pick and roll in the first possession of the game, which is good to, good to see. The Hawks have not been running a ton of pick and roll recently, but Trey found Collins for an easy bucket. The Clippers tried to throw a lot at the Hawks, and Ty Lue is a good defensive coach. In fact, the Clippers are good defensively without elite personnel, and you really saw that in this game. They threw a lot, whether it was traps or blitzes or playing drop coverage, even some switching. Um, I will say this. Whenever, whenever they dropped against Trey Young in pick and roll, Trey got comfortable and was carving it up. Um, but other than that, uh, it was a little bit sort of hit and miss at times. Trey got downhill a lot at the outset of this game. The Hawks scored their first, I believe, 16 points in the paint in this one. Capella was very active at six points, two blocks, three rebounds, about five minutes at the outset here. Clippers used some zone defense early, which the Hawks took some, minutes, some time to get used to. They were more effective when they pushed the pace and kind of didn't allow the Clippers to set up their zone, which is uh, usually sort of a logical thing to do, but it's not always as easy to execute in practice. An interesting challenge from Nate McMillan in the first quarter of this game, which I actually will defend him for. I am someone that usually does not want to use a challenge in the first quarter, particularly if it's not going to be a three-shot foul or something like that. But And it was really sort of confusing on the surface if you were not paying close attention. I knew kind of right away because, I, of course, I'm looking at box score and all that stuff in front of me. But he challenged a play that was not even a scoring play in the first quarter. It's just a very strange thing. But it would have been Trey Young's second foul. And while Trey is not a huge foul guy – I would not have been worried basically about him getting a second foul because he's not a he's not a high foul player. But if you're Nate and you're a traditionalist and you don't like to have guys uh, out there with foul trouble, quote unquote, challenging there with your best player, also rewarding him for playing defense because he drew a charge in that spot. Um, and of course, Nate also won the challenge. It was a bad call, very clearly when it happened. So the combination of trying to avoid the second foul for Trey, rewarding Trey's effort, and also you know, winning the challenge is uh, enough to sort of justify it, even if it was sort of a low leverage play in a vacuum. So pretty interesting stuff there. Regardless, though, um, from there, the rotation was interesting in this one. And we'll come back to it probably later on as well. But um, at the beginning, it was pretty, pretty normal. Bogdanovich is the first guy. Gallinari has been coming in a little bit ahead of ahead of a Kongu. So they've been playing Collins at center in both halves for a few minutes. Uh, and that, this time around, it was actually against the zone, which was effective, giving the Hawks some more shooting. But then... And I noticed this right away. I actually was talking to Kevin Shard as it was happening, friend of the podcast, Kevin Shard of Hawks.com. But Lou Williams came into the game before DeLon Wright did. And as soon as that happened, I put a pin in it, and I was like, I think DeLon's out of the rotation in this game. Because basically, if, you, if you've been following the Hawks for a while, uh, DeLon comes in first usually, and then Lou will come in when Trey comes out in the first half in particular. So when Lou came in before DeLon and alongside Trey, I was like, oh, that's a little bit strange because that'd be that's usually the, the DeLon role. Um, and DeLon Wright, while he actually played in the second half, he only played in the second half because Hunter got four fouls. So, and McMillan said after the game, and I, I give him credit for this because Nate is usually not the most candid in giving away his uh, his mentality stuff on the record, but he basically said after the game, they're going to run, they're going to use a nightmare rotation from this point on, at least for a while. And that does not include DeLon Wright, it seems. He talks about how he's talked to DeLon. I will credit DeLon and so did Nate for staying ready because he actually gave him good minutes in the second half when they were sort of in a pinch. But it looks like for now, they're going to go with nine guys. Um, I'll come back to this, I'm sure. But I, I don't like this, to be honest with you. I know I have a reputation for liking DeLon Wright a lot, and that's definitely the case. But – I think that it's just not the right decision. I think DeLon has helped them this year. I think his defense is very valuable on a team that's not been playing well defensively this year. Pros and cons, I think Lou has been playing better basketball recently than he was early in the year. That's definitely maybe part of this, but I still like DeLon as a rotation player. But 
that, that decision has been made and we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to it repeatedly in the, in the coming days. But for now, it looks like it's going to be about nine and then the line will be the 10th guy that'll sort of be the on-off kind of player. At any rate, Ross played very well in the offensively in the first quarter. They had a 137 offensive rating. They shot 60% from the floor and were eight of eight at the line in the first. And that'll do it, obviously, as a very, very positive takeaway there. They held the Clippers to a to less than point per possession in the first quarter as well. So, you know, all that said, they were, they were leading by nine at the end of the first. And I thought defensively they were pretty crisp and they executed pretty well. They were active. They were uh, attentive as well. Um, the one, as I sort of mentioned quickly earlier, the one swoon in this entire game for the Hawks, other than maybe crunch time a little bit, um, was the second quarter. And it really um, sort of the middle of the second quarter. They went to a bench plus herder lineup at the outset, and they both lead to as many as 11 points. But then the Clippers had a 19 to 2 run in the middle of the quarter to go from down 10 to up seven. The Stars started coming back a little bit during that run, but the Clippers were hot from three. They were eight of 12 at the outset. Not huge volume there by any means, but they were making them. Hunter got a flagrant one that was pretty soft, I thought, on Luke Kennard. That gave the Clippers some free points and the ball. And the Hawks also sputtered on offense at the same time, which is usually the makings of a run. It was bad defense, bad offense. That happened. Um, two points in about four and a half minutes for Atlanta. They were 0-6 from the floor with three turnovers in that stretch. But fortunately, and this is sort of a resilient point that the Hawks, I think, probably could have uh, noted as one of the reasons why they won this game. They got an 8-0 run down the stretch of the first half to sort of right the ship. Capella gets a dunk on the final possession, and they go into the halftime with a one-point lead. Now, they didn't again, they did not play well in that second quarter overall, but closing strong there, not letting it fester, I thought was pretty big. And to be up at the half after all of that was uh, very helpful. The Hawks had a 125 offensive rating in the first half. Obviously, that's pretty strong overall it's a good, against a good defense. It took care of the ball. No free throw attempts in the second quarter. That was one of the, sort of the one negative there. But um, they won the glass the entire game, offense and defense. Trey was good in the first half, 14-7-5 and five for him before halftime. It did allow their worst defensive quarter in the second as well, as, in addition to the offensive struggles at times. Um, 35 points to the Clippers in that period, but only one offensive rebound for the Clippers. Um, that's obviously a little bit easier to sort of uh, boost your efficiency. So overall, the Hawks didn't play a perfect half by any means, but to not play a perfect half and still be winning was uh, not too, too bad after the swoon that was in that second quarter. Before we get to the second half of this game and much, much more, a word from our sponsors on the show today. It's that time of year again as the tournament is finally upon us in college basketball with all the latest odds, totals, player props, futures, exotics, and much more. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. And beyond that, BetOnline remains the best spot on the internet for your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And of course, it's not just basketball, even if we love basketball on this podcast, because BetOnline has a full slate of offerings that includes live betting and your favorite casino games. In addition, they have really all the sports you could possibly want. Hockey, boxing, UFC, auto racing, golf, Tennis, soccer, baseball is back. Entertainment and horse racing odds plus every single prop you could possibly think of. Head to BetOnline right now or use a mobile device to learn about all of the trends and the action today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll dig in now to the second half of this one. And I referenced it earlier, but Hunter got his fourth foul with about 10 and a half minutes to go in the third. And they went to Bogdanovich quickly, which kind of opened the door for the DeLon Wright minutes later on. The Clippers were also more aggressive in hunting Trey on defense. Early in the third quarter, they had a mere coffee um, on well, Trey, Trey was trying to guard Amir Coffee, and Coffee's not like a star or anything like that, but he had a big game against the Hawks actually in January, and he was really kind of going at Trey. He has a huge size advantage, of course, sort of a tough ask for Trey to guard him, but also it was him and Reggie Jackson who I don't think the Hawks want him on, um, either. So Trey fortunately got comfortable on offense and was carving him up a little bit in that period. 
they try to mix it up a little bit with, with our defensive coverages, the Clippers did, but to, uh, let's just say, mixed success at that point. The Hawks were pretty good on offense in that third quarter. There was one run by the Clippers at 7-0 run in the middle of the period, but for the most part, the Hawks were in control of the third quarter. Marcus Morris, the starting power forward for the Clippers, was ejected with about three and a half minutes to go in the third. He's always uh, seemingly in something with the Hawks, um, dating back to Washington and other things that's been happening over the years. But that was helpful for Atlanta because he's their best power forward. Obviously, he's kind of, uh, let's just say not exactly a fan favorite of Hawks fans, but he is their best four available. So that him not being there was uh, was sort of a nice swing in favor of the Hawks. And then Gallo had a couple of uh, big plays late in the third quarter. He had a big three to force a timeout, um, which was good to see. Also, at one point, um, Gallo had this stretch in, the, in this game where he had a banked-in three, and then he also had a dunk um, in within a few minutes of each other. Kind of funny kind of funny stuff there. But Gallo had some hits and misses, which we'll come back to later on. Um, like I said, DeLon played late in the third, I think, to keep Hunter off the floor, but I thought he gave him good minutes. Um, but no one scored in the fourth quarter for a while, almost three minutes. But the Hawks were winning, so that wasn't so bad. They came back to Trey after that. And the play of the game in terms of the highlight of the game was Anika Kongwu dunking a monster lob dunk over Zubac, who is a massive human being, plus the foul. Um, Kongwu hanging on the rim was fun. Collins had a, a bench reaction that the broadcast caught that was fun. And the Hawks went up by eight points on that play. So uh, winners all around there from Trey to Kongwu to the reactions and a lot of fun in the building there. But the Hawks didn't score there for a, for a little bit after that, and the Clippers got it down to six. But I would say the two biggest single shots of this game both came from Kevin Herter. With five minutes to go, he had a huge three that was actually sort of a late shot clock heave. Not the greatest look in the world, but he had to shoot it. He created it, and he made it, put the Hawks up by nine. That was a big shot. Um, but they sort of gave it back a little bit after that. Trey took a couple bad shots in this stretch. But then Herter hit another three to go up by ten with under four minutes to go. Those two shots were very, very big in terms of timing and also just being threes. But from there, the Hawks were up up 10. And I noted this because later it got a little bit tight. So up 10, three, uh, sorry, 340 or so to go. But then Trey goes for another dagger. He misses it. Clippers score back-to-back in a six-point game. Then Gallo misses a decent look in the post. They get a dunk the Clippers do, and then suddenly it's a four-point game with 230 to go. Then Trey answers with a gorgeous pass, by the way, just a perfect pass to Capella for a dunk. The Clippers score again. Hunter misses an open three. Um, Gallo then misses on the offensive rebound. And then after Zubac seals Gallinari for an easy jump hook, the Hawks' lead is down to two with less than a minute to go. I'll stop here just to say this. Collins did not close the game. And this time around, I was baffled by that. If you're listening to the show earlier this week on Wednesday into Thursday, I noted that Collins did not close in the Bucks game, and I thought it was actually defensible because Collins did not play well at all on Wednesday. Um, this time around, though, he was better in this game than he was on Wednesday. He wasn't great, but he was better than that. And Gallinari did not really have it going at that point. And really, it was very clear that the Clippers were targeting Gallinari and, and of course, Trey, but especially Gallinari in that stretch. And I think, honestly, if you were going to go without Collins, it would have been more defensible, particularly without Marcus Morris on the court, to go to Bogdanovich. Like, I would, I would not have minded that. If they had gone to Trey, Herter, Bogey, Hunter, and a center, which was Capella at this point, I would have understood that. But I didn't like going to Gallo there. It didn't burn them because they obviously won the game. But I thought even just for defense, having Collins out there would have been helpful. But even offensively, Gallo was not really doing all that much at that point. At any rate, uh, another big shot out of a timeout. 
Hunter gets to the uh, rim and sort of hits a floater off the glass that ended up being a shot that kind of gave the Hawks the cushion that they had, that they kind of had to have. And the Clippers had this awful possession. Now, I will note, I think it was Kevin Schnard or Glenn Willis, one of those guys shared this clip on Twitter. But if you watch it back, and I watched it a couple times, Capella has a great defensive possession on this play. So credit to the Hawks for getting that out of them. But the Clippers, down by four, wasted like 15 to 18 seconds. Like they had a two-for-one chance, didn't even, and they just couldn't get anything going there. So for a bad shot. And once the Hawks... Got that stop and the defensive rebound. It was basically over. They got they got the ball to Trey. He gets fouled, makes both, and the game is over from there. So it got tight. Like I said, the lead going down to two with under a minute to go was not ideal in this game and sort of shades of the season. And listen, if they had lost this one, it would have been a heartbreaker and it would have been another one of those like added to the list kind of things. But man, it would have been a bad loss at the end of this one had they lost it. But they were able to hold on and get a, a solid victory. So as far as takeaways are concerned, the offense was pretty good. There was that one swoon, second quarter, of course. Clippers, again, are like number seven in the league in defense this season. And the Hawks scored very well. A 122 offensive rating while shooting only 9 of 31 from three. That is impressive stuff elsewhere. 58% on twos. They were excellent on the glass. They had 28 assists and 10 turnovers. That's a great ratio, of course. 54 points in the paint. 17 of 19 from the, from the free throw line. Not huge volume there. It made them all, obviously. So, Aside from the three-point shooting, which is, of course, there's always going to be some variance there, they did very, very well across the board on offense in this game. And that was helpful in the uh, quest to score enough points to win, of course. Um, defensively, the numbers are not great in this game. That's not a huge surprise. The Hawks have been bad defensively for most of the season. But I thought the Hawks were actually pretty good outside of about a five, seven-minute stretch in the second quarter. They did a good job. They held the Clippers down to 21 points in the fourth. Um, they stiffened when they needed to. Um they only allowed 17 free throw attempts. That's a pretty good number overall. They won the turnover battle pretty clearly. And also they dominated the glass in this game. And when I say dominated, I actually mean dominated. And it was it was not just Capella. Like often it's Capella that's just anchoring things. But on the defensive glass, you had Kevin Herter with seven defensive rebounds. Gallo had six, six defensive rebounds. Trey had four. Um, it was gang rebounding. Obviously Capella was the big, in terms of like the box out guy. And uh, Akongo was grabbing the offensive glass. But the Hawks were really good on both ends of the floor on the glass. They ended up, um, taking eight more shots than the Clippers did in this game. And uh, that's usually a positive factor when trying to win. So after all that, I will just leave you with this tidbit before we get to the player evaluations. The Hawks did not play their A game, but they did not play their C minus or D game either. This is a solid performance. That's not going to inspire anybody. I understand that, but I, I'll use the word steady. It was a steady win for the Hawks. They played well enough. And really, there haven't been that many games like this this year where the Hawks just kind of do what they're supposed to do. Not in a great way, not in a bad way, just kind of hold serve. And while this isn't everything, they won this game by six points and they were favored by seven and a half points. And that's probably a good indication of like what the this game was kind of went the way that it was supposed to go in some respects. And I don't want to overstate that. The Hawks had to make the plays, but they were good when their best guys played. They were plus eight when Trey played in the game and uh, they just did enough to win. And uh, sometimes that's all you have to do, even when you're trying to string wins together. We'll get into later on what's going to happen over the weekend. And they have a couple of games that are even easier on paper than this one was. But there are no gimmies, and they won this one, and that's all that matters in this spot. So before we get to the rest of the podcast and player evaluations and a look ahead to the future, a word from our sponsors on the show today. It's March, and usually by this time of the year, I've given up all my resolutions for the new year. But in 2022, I've taken to the one that is closest to me right now, and that's to eat right with a hat tip to Bilt Bar. 
really feels like it's not even really a resolution anymore because I actually enjoy eating Built Bars. There's the protein-infused Puff Bars that are fantastic, and there's all kinds of other flavors and fan favorites from Built Bar. And each and every bar is covered in 100% chocolate, which makes a huge difference, and they taste fantastic. On top of the taste, they are low-calorie and high-protein. Built Bars can easily replace your candy bars, and really both in taste and to improve your nutrition. If you go to Built.com right now, check out the nutrition page, you'll be blown away because Built Bars contain only 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. In terms of flavors, there's all kinds of favorites like coconut almond and mint brownie and some new flavors coming all the time. Each flavor is delicious, and really there is never a shortage of new flavors and new options for you to try. The best way to check out all things from Built Bar is go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. That's promo code LOCKED15, 15% off if you go to Built.com. All right, we'll get into the player evaluations now. And like I said, a nine-man rotation, kind of a nine and a half, because DeLon ended up playing in the second half for five minutes. He was plus one, had a steal, two points. I thought he played well, and uh, just veteran presence, kind of just being ready to go there. Lou did not have it in this one. He was pretty good the last three or four games before this, but he was one six from the floor. And uh, defensively, obviously, always a mess. So, kind of a kind of a tough night to explain that you're going to go with Lou over DeLon because Lou was not good. You know, I'm not saying it's the worst decision in the world. I want to stress that. I think DeLon does does more things that help you win than Lou does right now. But Lou obviously has higher upside on offense, and we can have that discussion at a later date. But I don't love it. But that's what's what's happening. So, uh, Wu had some moments. Granted, the offensive glass had the dunk of the night by far, like I mentioned before. But only two six from two six from the floor, six points, nine rebounds though. Seventeen minutes that's obviously good. Had five fouls though. Akongwu just continues to foul at an alarming rate. Um, I don't think he's been playing all that well by his standards since he came back from the injury. I'm not sure if that's related or not. Not that he's been bad, but just not quite as uh, impactful. I don't think. But the offensive glass stuff was really helpful in this game, and of course the memorable dunk that he had. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovic was not um, fantastic either by his standards, but also was a positive influence. 11 points on only on 12 shots is not great, but he had six assists, um, which was the only guy on the team other than Trey to have more than three. He had six there, so that's good to see with only one turnover. But uh, he was four of five on twos, but only one of seven on threes. It's going to happen sometimes, but I thought he played okay. just didn't make shots. Gallo, on offense, kind of the same thing. 13 points on 12 shots is not fantastic, but not terrible. Six rebounds, three assists, no turnovers, was plus three. Defensively, it was a, a mess as it often is, but, um, you know, he made enough shots. I still would have gone to Collins down the stretch or at least got a bogey down the stretch, but we sort of alleviated that before. To the starters, uh, Collins, another quiet night at the office, nine points, three rebounds in 23 minutes. I mentioned the quote from Nate earlier in the podcast, but um, he does not look like himself. He was better than he was on Wednesday. That's a small consolation, but they got to get him right. I mean, this is not the same team. People were asking me, I don't want to say people, there were a couple people, people in the last couple of days Ask me if they're better off without Collins, et cetera. That's silly for me. I think he's still their second best player. Uh, maybe the third best player, if you want to say that Capella has been really, really good recently. But I think Collins is still really good. Um, I'm not concerned, but obviously if he's not 100% healthy, that becomes a problem. I still like him playing more than Gallo for the most part, but um, they're definitely managing him. And Nate was kind of cryptic with his uh, with his injury stuff, but that'll be something to keep an eye on. And we'll see if they list him in the injury report for Sunday's game. Uh, Hunter had a... Relatively unassuming day, but wasn't too bad. 12 points on seven shots, two rebounds, had an assist, did have five fouls and had the four early in the third, had to sit for a long time, but I thought he was okay in this game. Herter had a couple big shots, like I mentioned before, the two big shots of the game. 16 points, four of from three, six of 12 from the four. 
Eight rebounds. That's a huge number for Herter. Not usually on that level rebounding wise. Had two assists and a steal. I think he played quite well. Uh, willing to able to shoot shots. Thirty six minutes is a ton for him. And I saw the I saw this uh, framed by somebody. I can't remember who. So my apologies on this for now. But one of the things about the Delon rotation change is that there is an argument if you're going to just push minutes up for Bogdanovich and Herter and Hunter then it's a lot easier to not play DeLon right. And I would agree with that. I would still play DeLon over Lou. I want to be clear about that. But if you are going to play Herter 36 minutes a game, which is what's happened tonight, then it's a little bit more defensible, alas. Um, Capella, I thought, was really good. Again, 14 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks, steal, two assists, plus four, seven nine from the floor. That's really good stuff from Clint all the way around. I thought he actually could have came in a little bit earlier in the fourth quarter, to be honest with you. But I thought he was very good and – sort of microcosm of the game was that last possession where he just kind of tortured the uh, Clippers offense. And he was like, he was doing that a lot in this game. And then Trey young, uh, a nice night of the office. Trey wasn't like his a plus self, but he also wasn't a C either. He played very well, 27 and 11 for Trey five rebounds as well. Eight of 17 from the floor, one of four from three, but got to the line 12 times. So he was efficient. He was productive plus eight uh, defensively had some moments. He wasn't always fantastic, um, obviously, by his standards, but I thought he was uh, at least competing at times, especially when the Hawks were having their better moments in this game. He was at least a part of that, was active enough defensively, getting some deflections, had a steal. So uh, a good night at the office overall for Trey. As for the standings, we will not have the updated standings right now because the the Wizards, as I'm recording this, are playing on the West Coast. So that's keep, something to keep an eye on what the Hawks do with this game. They tie the Hornets again. Um, Charlotte one on this evening as well, knocking off New Orleans. They scored 142 points in New Orleans, kind of a crazy number there. But those two teams are still tied. Brooklyn is still a game and a half ahead of the Hawks. Toronto is going to be uh, either three or four, depending on their result. They're actually late in the game right now as I'm recording this. And then if the, if the Wizards win, they'll be a, it'll be a game and a half. But if the Wizards lose in LA, the Hawks will still will go back down to a two and a half game lead on the Wizards, which is not too bad of a place to be right now, at least according to making the play in. Um, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but from here, the Hawks go – sorry, I should say go back home. The Hawks stay at home and play two games in two days on Sunday and Monday. It's a home back-to-back. Those are a little bit easier because you don't have to travel in the middle, but still back-to-back. But the first game has a huge advantage in that they play the Pacers, who are sort of rebuilding. They're still talented on some level, but Indiana's not playing well right now. They don't have a, they don't have a great roster right now. And also, it's a back-to-back with travel for the Pacers. So – between the Hawks not having to travel, having a day off, Indiana's roster, Indiana's travel, the Hawks are going to be big favorites on Sunday. Again, nothing, nothing is assured right now in the NBA, especially for the Hawks who have not been consistent this year. That's a game in which they're going to be big, big favorites, barring some injury stuff. And then Monday they play the Blazers. Again, it's back-to-back with Portland is in a similar boat to Indiana, but they are not playing well right now in terms of like they're playing up the string, not a whole lot to play for for the, for the Blazers. As I speak, they've lost six games in a row. So, uh, yeah, some favorable matchup stuff for the Hawks. I tweeted this earlier before the game started today, but the Hawks are going to be favored in all three of these games. Obviously, they won the one tonight. And they, if they win them all, they're back to 500. Now, famously, they had a chance to do that again on Monday in Detroit. They were favored in that game, and they lost. So nothing nothing is given to you. But the Hawks, um, after this victory, have some positive momentum going. The schedule is very light, as discussed before. I believe even still um, coming into today, They have the number 29 schedule strength in the league. That is obviously second easiest. That's what you want to see. So uh, there's still time for a run. Not not all hope is lost for the Hawks, but the clock is also ticking because I think everybody knows this at this point, but only 16 games remaining. So if the Hawks were to 
you know, post a 12 and four down the stretch, that would obviously get you to 44 wins and put you in a good position. But if they don't have that run in them, then, uh, you know, we'll see. So after all that, I'm going to leave it here for the podcast. Uh, a solid night at the office for the Hawks, a good Friday night win. And we'll come back to have full coverage on Sunday into Monday. One plea, please subscribe to the podcast via the platform of your choice on the audio, on the audio side, whether it be uh, Apple podcasts or Spotify, Google podcasts, Stitcher, overcast, all those places. If you enjoy the show, please leave five-star ratings. Those very much help. I've been told to push those for sure on Apple podcast and Spotify. Also reviews on Apple are also very helpful to help spread the word on the show. And I've been saying this a lot recently. So my apologies, but I'll say it again here. We're trying to get the YouTube channel off the ground. And my goal, the network goal is to have the Hawks, the Alton Hawks podcast have a thousand subscribers on YouTube by the end of the season. We're getting close, sir. Not close yet, let's just say, but it takes two seconds. So if you like the podcast or if you want to just spread the word, help help us out, get your family and friends to do that same thing, uh, subscribe, download, all that stuff. There are easy ways to support the show. And that's definitely one of them. So thank you in advance for that. Please follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And we'll see you after the game on Sunday.